Welcome back to the Head, Heart, and Boots podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Brandon. Join us as we wrestle with what it takes to transform ourselves and the businesses we lead. Man, I love this industry. Hey, before we jump into this very unique episode, we've got sponsors to thank. Yeah, we do. I think we should start with Answer Force. Let's do it. Answerforce.com, call reception, call intake. I think oftentimes we overlook that as a real strategic driver in our business. But you think about how much money you spend with sales reps out in the field, potentially Google PPC. How much do we spend on just building out our website? You know, all those things. And then I think a lot of times we just like reception is an afterthought. It's like, well, let's hire a, you know, $15 an hour person college age kid that you know can maybe start out part time and we just kind of willy nilly our call response it's like man how valuable like dollars and cents valuable is every single call point of the spear really in a lot of cases it's huge it's the first time and in, in most cases our clients are having interaction it's massive it's, it's it's a huge deal right and i think we've probably been guilty of not taking that seriously enough ourselves in the past so you know answer force is a really great turnkey solution for that regardless of how big your company is you know whether you're you're starting out, you're running your company out of your kitchen, right? Or a storage unit, or you've got, you know, 40 employees and you're gunning for 25 million. I think, you know, what do you do when your reception's out at lunch? Do you just willy nilly forward the phones to whoever picks up? No, I think you should have a professional solution like Answer Force. And, you know, it's very cost effective too and flexible in terms of use a ton of it or use very little of it. It's a really interesting bolt-on product. It's kind of like a SaaS, like a software solution, yeah. but with real people right? that understand your intake process and can imitate it perfectly. So if your full-time reception is out on maternity leave, forward the phones to AnswerForce, right? Just right inside their app, click a few buttons, and now you have a professional person answering your phone even when your receptionist is out. So it's a no-brainer, guys. You should absolutely at least do a demo regardless of what your situation is. AnswerForce.com forward slash Floodlight thing. Liftify.com. You guys know the team over there, of course, we're huge supporters of Zach and and their team and what they're doing in terms of tech and advancing their system, adding AI features, doing all these things to really customize and fine-tune and automate how our teams are getting the reviews. And reviews, as we've talked about, we've talked about in previous episodes, we've talked about it as part of our chat with Zach and their team, the natural organic SEO activity that comes from consistent, relevant, and current five-star reviews is, is unbelievable. I mean, at the end of the day, Google is going to prioritize their platforms, their systems over anybody else. And at the end of the day, that Google five-star review is fuel for them. Big and deal. they prioritize it. So there's all these natural gains. You guys have heard us talk about it. It's super cost-effective. The reality of it is, is most of us in our companies, we cycle our aggressiveness and our attentiveness to our Google reviews. When we're slower, all of a sudden people get amped up about it and they get focused on it. We start pitching out benefits and spiffs for people to get it and we get a bunch. And then we all get busy and then that tapers off, that behavior starts to slip. And now we've had this moment of time where 30, 45, 60 days, we get just a fraction of the reviews, if any, that we could have. And with a team like Liftify, it's just consistent. You're always going out, you're consistently getting 20, 25% of your losses of your opportunities to turn into five-star Google reviews, which is a massive number compared to competitors and other types of services that are available. So guys, liftify.com forward slash floodlight. 
visit our friends over there. Take advantage of the benefits that a partnership or a, being a listener of ours is and bolt that partner into the system. Let's get the benefits. Let's get the SEO gains from those five-star reviews. And then last but not least, CNR Magazine, right? Our industry trade journal, you know, essentially. You know, we talk about them so much. And I think one of the things I appreciate is just how holistic you know, Michelle and her team are in terms of how they approach a media company. All the partnerships that Michelle does. I mean, she has all different kinds of regular media that she's putting out, interviews, recurring you know, programs and shows that, that she's helped create alongside other restorers and other industry consultants. I mean, she's always looking for creative ways to deliver information, knowledge, industry intel out to the masses. And I don't know, I just respect it. She's very, very strategic. She and the rest of her team. I just saw recently the know-how industry survey is yeah. going out. So the updated survey, which is a huge value to our industry. So thank you to know-how. But obviously, Michelle and CNR for facilitating that and bringing that to, to the industry. Plus, every week, they've got new articles that are being posted. They have CE opportunities for your employees for free, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Plus, they have industry playbooks that they've been putting out, one of which we participated in, the commercial sales playbook. I think that's what they call them, or master playbooks, or I don't know what they're calling them. But there's so many opportunities to learn and bone up on different subjects in our industry and for your people to do the same. It's great. You know, it's great stuff as a leader to be able to share out with your team when you, you know, find a gem. 100%. So, anyway, CNR Magazine, if you're not already subscribing, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you ignoring such an important industry asset and resource, right? Get with the paces. That's right. Uh, this is an interesting episode. For those of you that came to the collective, yeah. so when listen to us uh, projecting out in the future. So this will come out after the collective at the end of August. This is a more conversational version, maybe, of what you and I spent a bit of time on the main stage sharing with our attendees at the core collective. It's one of those things where you and I have prioritized with the show of getting below the surface, talking to the whole restore. We continued that. Yeah. And we stepped out onto the main stage and immediately dove in deep. I think, it's so <laughs> funny to hear you remarking on this, like sort of in with a historic, yeah, yeah, in historic, a historic context. Projected. Because right now I have butterflies. I'm sick to my stomach. I'm terrified. Like this is the first time you and I are going to hit the stage in front yeah. of 800 or more people. Chunk of people. Yeah. Not only that, but we're also joining the roster, the conference roster with the one and only Joey Coleman. And so I'm just, I'm nervous as hell, to be honest. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think if we said anything other than that would be straight up. Like I'm feeling imposter syndrome. Oh, I yeah. got the squiggles in my tummy. All I got, it's all, all the things. It would be funny to reevaluate what this opener is going to sound like post the collective. Trying to think about what I'm going to wear. Like, do I need a new pair of shoes for this thing? <laughs> a pair of drops. Like, yeah. Like, 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 do I need drops. to buy a new swimsuit for this? We're going to be poolside. Everybody will have seen us on stage. I need to look good. Like, I'm feeling all of this pressure. I haven't even taken the time to worry about those other elements yet. But yeah, so this is a weird intro. We are both in the future and in the past simultaneously. It is a gift to you as a listener of a, pod, a pre-recorded podcast. Yeah, in many ways, this is a trial run that, that you all may get to hear if this sees the light of day. Oh, that's right. That's so this right. is real gritty. Pull back the kimono. Ooh, what's that? Um, so That's right. That's right. All right. So here's the deal. Chris and I feel like it's really important that as part of our journey, 
we share out like some of the experiences that we're having. The reality of it is we're in all sorts of different phases of that journey. There's times where we feel like probably personally we're rocking. And I think that that if we're honest, there's plenty of times where we're kind of in that pit of despair and some kind of weird transitional period where we're not necessarily rocking, right? We're, a lot of we're susceptible and caught up in the in the many things that life throws us, just like you guys as leaders and and business owners. And this journey, I think, that Chris and I have been chasing now for numerous years is this idea of getting a better understanding of what it is that's happening inside us, in between our ears, whatever you want to say, in your heart, in your soul, that's affecting the way we lead, the way that we affect relationships, the way that we have conversations, the way that we negotiate, the way that we teach and train and equip. And, and we just have seen through that journey, just this reminder over and over and over again, how universal the challenge is, even though the color of what creates the challenge might vary, and how universal this this missing element is to us getting better, faster, and experiencing the kinds of jobs, the kinds of careers, businesses, and relationships that we want to. Like The tactics are good. They're relevant. They're important. The processes are critical. But we can't lay those things on to a broken foundation, right? Yeah, there's so, you know, it's interesting. There's so many interesting analogies. And you and I like to use analogies because I think analogies are easy to remember. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's when we're talking about change or an opportunity to grow, like analogies are really helpful for getting clear on what am I trying to do? What is this about? Why is this important? Right. Yeah. And we're going to have a lot of analogies in this conversation. I think another, imagery that I find really useful about what we're talking about today and getting below the surface, getting another way of saying it is getting kind of into our heart, connecting on with what's what's happening inside me. There's the brain where I rationalize things. And then there's the heart where I feel things and I react. I have these responses that that almost happen within my body. Like they're hardwired into me, right? And all of us have it. This is universal. So much of it is subconscious to us for much of our life. And in some, sometimes, I don't know if it was Eckhart Tolle or somebody else that he refers to it as most of us are sleepwalking. Yeah. I think is a really great yeah, I like that. kind of word picture sure. is that yeah. most of us, we have a certain set of behaviors and default responses to things, a way of seeing the world that has worked for us in some fashion. And it's almost as though we're on autopilot. And we don't necessarily understand what lies beneath it because we haven't ever taken time to see it. But Eckhart Tolle also refers to us all being in a dream. In a dream, I, I think that's an interesting way of thinking of it is all of us individually have a way that we see and interact with the world that we are the only ones who know and understand what that dream is. Like it's, it's internal to our thoughts, the stories in our head, the way that we interpret why somebody did something, the assumptions we make in our interactions with people, all that stuff is kind of like we have our own particular way of seeing our life in the world. And most of the time, it's just subconscious to us. We're just making decisions out of that. Yep. These thoughts come in and out of our heads. No one else sees it yep. the way we do. Right. But we have this way of dealing with people and doing relationship and all the things. And most of us don't ever pause to step back and kind of look at that. And yeah. I think that's what we're going to ask people to do today is to just pause, kind of open your minds and say, what about this can I relate to? And is there something here for me to explore? Is there something foundational here that I can tap into that will bring value to my life and potentially impact my leadership? Because it certainly has for you and me. Oh. 
when we were talking yesterday about this and kind of doing some of our planning and ideation, we were talking about the fact that in, in some ways, this thing that we're going to try to talk about and bring some clarity to might be the biggest yeah. thing. Yeah. We said that it could be the elephant, right? Like it know? could be the operating system for leadership. Like this is the essence, the scaffolding, the arteries. Like this is the the thing that, that I think we have to get in touch with in order to reach our potential as a leader. Can you lead without considering these things? Well, sure. But like we're going to get into, there's usually a negative consequence or a byproduct Absolutely. when we're trying to lead outside of our heart space, you know, and, and without acknowledging and managing some of those things that are inside that are driving our behaviors and stuff like that. So I think the other thing we talked about, the universality of this, like this is for everybody. I think sometimes we tend not to look inward until we have a problem. And so I want to kind of open up the conversation by asking the listeners to think about, do I have a problem? Because generally, we don't really equate our situation with a problem unless we're losing money, not making money, we're in survival mode. And some of you listening to this are. Like some of the audiences, they just started a restoration company. They're, they're struggling through their first handful of payrolls. They're like, shit, I'm the last person to get paid. This is terrible. I don't know if I'm going to make my mortgage. We've worked with you before. We know what it's about. You do have a problem, right? And, and your problems are various. So we're speaking to the whole re- the, the struggling restorer. But then for those of you out there that are making plenty of money, that have a full intact team, you have a fleet, maybe even own your own building. You got all the nuts. Maybe you have a boat. Maybe you have a fancy car. You got a lot of the things that you always thought you wanted. And yet underneath it all, there's this thing that's chafing kind of against you. There's this reality of, I got all this and it didn't do for me what I thought it was going to. I got the multi-million dollar business. I got the fleet. I got the assets, the balance sheet. We're making the EBITDA. And yet I'm unhappy. And that unhappiness might be centered within your own marriage. That unhappiness could be in a particular part of your marriage. It could be your relationship to your children. It could be a lack of creative output because you've neglected your own passions. You've traded some aspect of your life for the business success. And now you're left with some unfulfillment. You may even be asking yourself, why the hell, insert some other word if you choose, why am I doing this? What is this for? You know, Because I think oftentimes we're just thinking of, I have a successful business or I have a struggling business. And I think one of the things we're going to talk through today is you can have either one and be happy within yourself And you can have either one and be very discontented and full of anxiety and full of stress and have broken relationships around you. That's what we're going to lean into is that thing. Yeah. I I think the kind of that analogy, right, that we kind of poked at first was this idea of contaminated soil, right? It's this Mm -hmm. idea of we take these actions, these tactics, techniques, best practices, those are our seeds. Yeah. Right, we look at them and say, "Hey, this is what you need to grow. Is you need this seed, right? It all starts with this." We throw that out into bad soil, yeah. or and those seeds just sit there. They die on the vine. They they don't take root. There's nothing for them of substance to get engaged in and to grow from. And then we're frustrated with the result, right? And I and I think that that's what we attempt to do with compartmentalization. I think it's what we try to do when we say, "Hey, our business is is banging." 
But yeah, I'm challenged with the relationship with my kids. I'm challenged with some of these direct personal relationships with my employees, but the money's good. But again, to me, that's just more and more affirmation of this idea. You know, one of the things that we've talked about in the past is bolt on parts, right? We talk about taking a, a broken engine, going out and buying high performance parts, bolting them onto this broken block. And at the end of the day, you didn't gain anything in terms of horsepower, efficiency, right? Yeah. Performance. Because, and it's the same idea. It's, it's this idea that we are trying to solve problems and create solutions for things that at the end of the day are still sitting at the surface. And where the problem is, is underneath the surface. So it's this idea of we've got to dig in and begin to unpack for ourselves. What are the things that are contaminating the soil? What's below the surface that at the end of the day is leaving this sticky residue on the things that we're trying to implement in our lives or in our businesses that create this disconnect, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, for us, it's kind of the genesis of some of this thinking. There, there's been a lot of... I just love... I, th- I think journey, like the journey of leadership, the journey that we all have as individuals, this dream that we're in, right? Like Eckhart Tolle says, where we learn these things in pieces. You know, they tend to come to us when we're ready for it, you know? And I think for you and I, when we started working together in the industry, each other, we were provoking and kind of poking at some of these things as we worked together, right? One of the other kind of moments of truth for you and I was when we went to Global Leadership Summit. And there was actually a lot of learning that happened there. I mean, highly recommend it. We haven't been for a couple of years, but I mean, the the lineups are powerful. And I remember like Patrick Lencioni, very formative, like in terms of our, the way we looked at recruiting was one example of hungry, humble, smart, yeah. right? How do we identify those, those, the right fit and how do we hire appropriately and all that kind of stuff. And then one of these other concepts was Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels, he had a simple little flip chart there. And when he drew that circle, that big, it was, it was more like an Easter egg. It was like, like a big oblong circle and he put a line through the center of it and he had these images up above the line and they had these little X's down at the kind of the bottom. I think he kind of called it the ocean. It's like if, you, if you're the ocean down below the surface, there's all these items on the ocean floor. And then up above the surface of the water, we have kind of the way we behave today, the way we talk to people, the way others experience us, the, the knee-jerk reactions that we have to certain situations and types of people, all that stuff. And they drew a line between those items up above the water and those little X's at the bottom of the ocean. And he went on to kind of describe how psychologically, most of us like the sleepwalking example. We don't even realize where these attitudes, reactions, mannerisms, default behaviors are coming from. And it's even more deceptive when they tend to work. When we're having some measure of success with the way that we're being, we're even less likely to look below the surface and investigate where our behaviors, our attitudes, our perspectives are coming from. And yet they are 100% of the time tethered to these things. Another helpful word picture I've heard from Byron Katie, I think it's Byron Katie in her book, Loving What Is, she talks about how we, we pull file folders. We have these events happen in our life, good and bad. It's like our brain logs that memory in vivid detail of how it felt in our guts, how we responded to that thing and how we coped with that moment. And it just keeps a file folder, like a file drawer back there. And then certain people will say or do things in our orbit that cause our body 
and our and our brain to be like, oh, I recognize this. I know what's going on here. It fills in all the gaps to protect us. So I know exactly what's happening. It pulls that file folder and then we behave out of that moment and that situation. And for some of us, we have a whole bunch of these things on the ocean floor. You know, it's like family culture, a father wound, a mother wound, maybe an early employer that berated us in front of our employees. We're going to get into some, you and I have some examples of, oh, yeah. of what those things are lying on the ocean floor. That's right. You and I were so caught up in that. And I think we looked at each other and I remember us at the break being like, holy shit, that was... Yeah, this is relevant. There's something here, you know? And if it's here for us, it means everybody. It's here for everybody, including our people, you know? So yeah, how is this impacting our everything, right? Yeah, it's funny because we were just talking to a, an operational leader today and they were talking just kind of around this concept of real powerful team member already being super successful, already having like gains. So on the surface, kick butt, perfect hire, we're excited. And though, he's like, and we need to be aware of there's some personal stuff going on in that individual's life as well that I just noticed a couple red flags I'm paying attention to. Yeah. And I thought that was super insightful and Very interesting, smart. right? And and I think I think where most of us can go fairly easily is at least that far in the journey. Like I think all of us can say, okay, I'll buy the idea that past experiences, past events, traumas, relationships, whatever are shaping, like you said, are shaping some of my decision making. But I think part of what we want to get into, especially when we say the heart of the matter, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which is the title of our stage talk that we gave, is it's not just recognizing the fact that we are affected by these past experiences. But I think what I'm hoping to get more buy-in from people in general is this idea of how important then is it for us to invest time and energy understanding ourselves better at that level? So not just an awareness of, yeah, my past experience does influence what I do today. It's, it's bigger than that. It's if we can really understand the value of me beginning to truly understand and evaluate myself and who I want to be and what I want to be and how I want to carry myself and how I want to influence relationships. Now, all of a sudden, it's not just a recognition of these things influencing but it's now let's get integrated. Let's uncover and see what these things are so that I can understand why I do what I do better. And right. I can exert some control. Right. I can exert some intentionality because so often we're just, we're living at the effect of these things and we don't realize it. Right. And again, it's really deceptive because sometimes we can really find a lot of success. 100%. I mean, you and I see this, we've seen this over and over and over, not only in ourselves, but in other business owners where it's like you get in and you see a tremendous amount of certain kinds of success, monetary success. They got a big team in place. And you get under the hood and you're like, whoa, how in the world have they gotten here with all of these other fundamental problems? And I think there's just a reality that there are certain things that you can execute well on and you can have a whole bunch of other things broken and you're still going to get positive results. So, Dude, so I have an example and I want to be really careful because you and I have the opportunity when we work with people, we're trusted at a very intimate level in a lot of ways. Are you about ready to tell a story? A little bit of a story here. So this is interesting. Actually, I didn't really think about this earlier, but we have a client that we're working with actively right now. And one of their leaders is responsible for the administrative teams, JFCs in this particular world. And, you know, it's interesting when, as we were working with the team and talking about new strategies, talking about some of the shifts that the leadership needed to make 
in order for them to begin building systems they can scale on, right? You just like normally, we just really get stuck in the mental battle more so than the the process procedure stuff. Yeah. And we're there, we're in that battle. And her and I were in her office and we were talking about this kind of transition that she's going to be responsible for. And for safety, long story short, we realized in our conversation, and sometimes this door opens, sometimes it doesn't, we were able to, in a two-way dialogue, really unpack the fact that relationships that not just employee, certainly had employee examples, but personal relationships, relationships where she felt like she had been left hanging. Mm. You invest the time and energy and the ultimate result will be somebody leaving, Mm. not caring for, not maximizing that investment of time and energy, Mm. but actually using it ultimately against you. Okay. So this is a perfect example of that very real emotional connection to previous experiences, both in personal relationships. And let's admit it, we've all had employees that we've invested in and they leave us and it feels real shitty. Yeah, betrayal. It feels like betrayal. And so she was able to, for herself, articulate, wow, that's the block. That's why I'm failing to be able to get back into the trench and train and equip my people so that I can delegate and scale. It wasn't because she didn't believe the principle was valuable. It wasn't because she didn't know what to teach her people. She was stuck in the head game related to previous experiences and relationships that told her that when you invest time and energy, not only will it not reap a benefit from you, but it'll probably expose you to pain. And of course, we see this a lot because these kind of letdowns, disappointments happen all the time in teams. But this was even an example where it was somebody outside of the existing team. This was a prior experience, That's right. unrelated. That's right. And, yeah. and this is a sharp, capable, long-time industry yeah. person, guys. We're not talking about a weak link, an immature person that's really struggling to have a you know control of who they are and yeah. how they find oh, oh, I get it. This is a capable person that had an epiphany in a conversation that, holy shit, my current leadership struggle is all about a previous experience and mm. it is subconsciously controlling what I'm able to do or not do. Dude, that is such a perfect example. It's a perfect example. And I think that's what we're talking about here is there's a difference between someone listening to this and saying, yeah, I totally buy the fact that my previous experience shaped what I do today. No, guys, listen to what we're talking about mm. at a subconscious level you may very well be experiencing roadblocks and friction because of something you just have not wrestled with. An emotion, a a relational reality that's shaping how you treat your employees, right? Today. And I think one of the things that we talked about earlier, you know, sometimes we get a little off track in our discussions, but it's the ramifications of this. Like, and and I think we kind of glossed over this a little bit. And I just want to back up just for a moment. Guys, all of us, I think if we're honest, can look at the success or at least the incremental improvements that we're making in our businesses, in our professional spheres, and there's something that still makes that thing pale in comparison to the other things that are challenging the living shit out of us. Mm. It's like I'm kind of going into story mode now, but I was just thinking about like in my, my personal life, we were in a very interesting and successful aggressive, driven growth time in one of the previous companies that you and I worked in. Mm. And we were winning. Like for all intents and purposes, we were winning. Revenue's growing. Profit's growing. Systems are growing. Reach is growing. Market penetration is brand recognition. We were winning. And I was 
at probably one of the most depressed and kind of overwhelmed places I had been. Mm. And it's because my home life was in a position where my wife and I were really struggling with the age of our son. It was a challenging time period. He had things just like we all do. He's no different that he was transitioning through, that he was working through as a young adolescent you know, person. We were as a family, just like many of yours, wrestling with this new relationship as our kids mature. Yeah. Like as we start to loosen the grip a little bit and they want, you know, there's there's just this dance that we oh, do. bro. I'm in it. You're, I'm in it right now, you man. And I have shared the woes. And, and it was just overwhelming to me that in the moment that all the success at work could not overthrow or overcompensate for the fact that this very bedrock-driven relationship was not healthy. Yeah. It just wasn't. And it gassed me. It took everything out. It made everything else I was doing so unrewarding yeah. because that felt like, well, yeah, I'm rad here. But I can't even manage my my household. I can't even be a great partner oh, to my bro. spouse or my kids, but I can do this thing good. And it's not good enough. I think that's what we're trying to talk about here is, guys, we are whole people. Yeah, We can't compartmentalize our successes. And the bedrock relationships that we're responsible to and for have to be winning. If we're going to see success or have organizations that are healthy and, and flourishing as well, right? We've got to address this stuff. It's not good enough to have, be aware. It, we have to dig in. We have to understand what, it, what profound impact it's having yeah. on ourselves, our businesses, and our relationships. So, Yeah. Boy, that is such a good example. And I think something that people can really relate to. I certainly can. I mean, I'm just having all these example from that same period. Yeah. I was in the fire too, you know, and I and I am in many ways right now and there is that profound feeling of god what is wrong with me? And what does this actually mean about me? Is it the areas where I am succeeding is that all just a charade? There was this real imposter syndrome that I feel and I feel sometimes right now relative to my teenage children. It's like god, what is this actually saying about me that I'm in so much conflict with my kid, you know? It's humbling, I think when you start to pull back and look at some of these things. Where do we want to go from here, man? I think it's an interesting piece to kind of tie in like two concepts. I think that you and I have been chasing recently and it's helped us kind of flush out our relationship to some of this topic is, so it's this idea of what Bill Hybels presented, right? That our current actions, mindset, perspectives, they are tethered to these previous relationships, experiences. And at a very subconscious level, they have this controlling impact on the way that we make decisions, wear through some of these issues, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I think it, almost simultaneously, you and I were introduced to this idea of leaders then, right? Like, so leaders at home, leaders in relationship, leaders in our professional environment. It's this idea of us acting out these subconscious. Yeah. Right. And so what do some of those things look like? And so there's these two really great pictures to follow suit with this Bill Hybels concept of leaders, us, either being in a box or being outside of the box. Right. And so, and and I know this has been something that you've been keyed in for a really long time. Uh. But this idea of what's ultimately happening when we're not aware of these previous experiences and relationships and how they're shaping how we have, we affect relationship and make decisions now most of us are in this box this constricted restrictive just crushing box that limits the kind of influence and opportunities that we can experience right let's come back to the box thing cuz i think i wonder if it might i have an example 
So when we talk about these underlying things, these things at the bottom of the ocean that our current behaviors, attitudes, perspectives, reactions are tethered to, I'll, <laughs> as, as sort of nervous as I am to share it, I, I want to give a little bit of my backstory. And then I think it'd be useful for you to share some of your origin story as well, because you and I have very different kind of origin stories. And yet both of us have these artifacts at the bottom of the ocean right. that have driven our leadership in very specific ways. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I was literally, I was just talking with uh, Will, who is our, our newest team member at Floodlight. We were talking about the same thing as we were going through our company values. Oh, yeah. And this is one area where it all shows up is, how am I living out my values? Because there's some of these things in my history that affect my ability to live out certain values. It was just interesting, timely, you know, before yeah. we had this podcast. But so for me... You know, I think we touched on at the beginning of the podcast. Those artifacts are the result of those things at the bottom of the ocean that we're tethered to are a result of a bunch of different things. It's going to be different for everybody. There's, there's horrible you know, traumas, you know, people that have PTSD. So sometimes those artifacts have this, this packaging of PTSD, right? Some people have had really horrendous things that have happened to them and that they've experienced in their life. So whatever that is, you fill in the blank. If if you're one of those people that have had just this very disruptive, horrifying kind of experience, and there's others of us that just grew up in a in a certain kind of family culture, where certain kinds of things were, we just learned through osmosis. This is the expectation on you. This is where your value comes from. This is how you get recognized. This is how you receive care inside our family unit. All those things. We just accumulate those experiences as we get older. And ultimately, those become those things at the bottom of the ocean. It's like, this is just the way I do my life. Right. This is the way I do relationship because it's all I know. It's what I grew up with. And then I think too, like I mentioned, sometimes this past work experience, all those things become the file folders. For me, there's a family of origin thing. On my dad's side of the family, there's a real, in some ways, a really beautiful story of kind of coming out of very difficult roots. My great-grandfather was an itinerant worker. He was a farmhand and raised a family doing that, split in time between Arizona and Oregon. You know, and, and so like when when Oregon was in their rainy season, they're down in Arizona doing just he was a roughneck, you know, trying to raise a family. In the context of that, you know, whatever it was, 70, 80 years ago, it was rough and tumble. He was a piece of work angry, violent, what we would call abusive now. But at the time, it was just harsh father stuff. Yeah, I think it's, it wasn't necessarily seen the same way it is now. We just didn't have that awareness, right? But there was a lot of abuse, very, very harsh treatment of my grandfather. And I think like most of us have seen of our families, my grandfather inherited some of that experience, right? That became the norm in his family culture. And so when he had my dad and my uncles that aversion of that continued forward. A very harsh discipline, what I think most all of us would equate with physical abuse, a lot of anger, a lot of kind of fear-mongering to get my dad and his brothers to do things. There was a religiosity kind of packaged up in this. And my dad learned at a very, very early age that if he could somehow make himself special, if he could somehow project some talent that my grandfather would leave him alone. So if my dad was the good son, right, did good in school, 
my dad was very musical. That turned out to be kind of his way out to, to escaping some of that anger dynamic with my grandfather. If he could just be the piano player at church, my grandfather liked the way, I think, and of course, my grandfather's dead now. I haven't had this conversation with him. But what I've observed is, is that if my dad made my grandfather look good, it gave him a pass on a lot of that harsh discipline and abuse and all that kind of stuff. So my dad just, he picked this up as none of this was explicitly talked about. Yeah, right. And my grandfather never said, Hey, look guys, yeah. you know, you screw up. I'm going to beat you and I'm going to do this. But if you do a really good job and you make me look good, like none of that was ever conveyed actually verbally. Right. But my dad just, we learn these things through observation and experience. And so my dad learned if he can somehow find a way to be extraordinary, talented, special and get other people validating that and develop a reputation for that, then my grandfather would be more kind and less harsh. And so my dad grew up as the good son, first kid to graduate from college, was the church pianist and organist from like the age of 12, up in front of the church every Sunday. That was his persona. And my grandfather liked it, the other people in the church, and it just fed my dad's ego in a, in a, in a particular way. And my dad's a really good person. So again, this isn't a judgment of good or bad. No, it's just this is. It's like this has happened in our family. And this became kind of the family culture. And so I think my dad carried a version of that forward. And I'm really grateful that, you know, like the physical abuse was never part of my experience ever. So my dad managed, somehow found it within himself to leave that part behind but very early on, I also fell into music. Partly, I think I carried some of my dad's talent, my mom's musical as well. And so I, from a very young age, realized this is a way to get positive attention. And it became a source of affirmation and accolades for my dad. You know, when I would play or I would sing at church, people would come up and I, I still remember it. I still have a visual in my head when people come, oh my goodness, Chris was so wonderful up there on stage. And I could see my dad beaming. He was very proud. And so it wasn't that my dad never hugged me and never loved me in other ways, but it just, we had this culture. And over time, I just really started to embody this thing of, I need to be talented. My talent, what I'm externally people think of me is everything. My reputation, what people say about me when people praise me after I do things, like that is my value as a person. And I think ultimately, there's there, this is not all bad again. This isn't good, bad, because I mean, holy cow. I look back at my career, I think that part of me pushed me in the direction of business and sales and wanting to persuade and do well and be an achiever. And so it fueled a number of things that were positive in me, but it also had this dark side. There was a toxic residue that it left behind, both in my dad and I's relationship, because I always think there was a part of me that wanted to just be loved and to just have his affection just cuz rather than it being sort of a byproduct of me doing impressive things. And again, I don't think my dad ever intended it for the he and I've talked about this. So dad, if you're listening, I love you and you know that and all the things. But I carry it forward and it's come out in some interesting ways in my leadership. And I'm realizing as I say this that this I'm spending way too much time on this. This can be difficult to distill all this into an hour when we're on stage, right? But where it's shown up for me is I've had over the course of my career such an intense commitment to managing how my reputation. Yeah, you. I think you've referred to it before as it built a performance culture. Yes. Where I first started to clue in on this or one of the big moments of truth you gave me. I remember presenting in front of our all-company meeting 
it was like an update on what we were doing with our commercial sales division or it was some kind of whatever. And I had the floor for a good 10 or 15 minutes at one of our meetings. And I got, came out of the meeting and I said, Hey, how'd I do? Which I had always asked you that question. You kind of paused. <sighs> what wasn't good? And anyway, I followed you back to your office and, and I just, I remember you saying, I, I don't know exactly what I mean here, but you've got tons of confidence. You have great self-confidence. Like you're great in front of people. So it was fine. It was good. It was good like normal. Like you're good in front of the team. He said, but it just felt like you don't really like yourself. There's just this little thing that I picked up on of you really needed the team to like what you were saying or to find it important. And it just, I just wonder is like, it just seems like you have low self-esteem. And when you said that, I was like, at first I felt defensive. I'm like, what, what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> yeah, right. And what does this mean about me? Totally and I, I spun out on that. And I think, I don't remember where that interaction with us landed necessarily. I may have gotten emotional on it because I realized there was, there was, a gra- there was this grain of truth that you were tapping into inside me. I just remember that as one of those moments of truth where I thought a lot about that. That was probably five, six years ago. Yeah. Maybe, maybe seven. Now. Yeah. yeah, maybe seven or eight years yeah. ago. Certainly a catalyst of some. But it clued me in to this subconscious demand. And in another terminology that I think I got from this family culture, even though my dad doesn't even use this word, my parents don't curse, is I'm afraid of being seen as an asshole. If people experience me or think I'm an asshole or whatever, like that inherently is bad. I can't have people not like me. Somehow I got that in my family culture and I could I could spend another hour on this, just things I've observed in my in my father and how he's managed his reputation, all those things. But that is like a real mortal sin or a fear that I carried for a lot of my leadership. And it's still there. I'm just aware of it now yeah. where I can be conscious and be like, man, what's going on inside me? God, there's a part of me that is afraid of being seen as an asshole if I say this out loud to this client, to a team member, to you, whatever. But I really started to become more conscious of that yeah. when you brought up that whole self-esteem thing. You know? Well, and it's interesting because I think I think what you're talking about here is that that's that whole in the box element. So again, just kind of ripping through some of these analogies, right? It's this idea, okay, something in your past is shaping how yeah. you act, respond, the stories you tell yourself, the the way that you prioritize certain types of relationships and certain actions. Yet until that moment, most of that is just happening outside of your conscious thought. Yeah. And so then how did that represent itself? How were you a leader then in the box, meaning you were influenced by these things because there was a lack of recognition and awareness to the fact that they are influencing you. Yeah. And so I think it became, I don't know if passive is the correct word, but it made it very difficult for you as a leader to establish accountability. Oh. That's your wrestling A hundred percent. A hundred percent. All right, Head, Heart & Boots listeners. Wanted to stop here just a moment and thank our underwriting sponsor, Bloodlight Consulting Group. <laughs> as, as all of you know, right? You know, Brandon and I, this is our passion project, Head, Heart & Boots is. But it's also a way more and more that our consulting clients find us. And in effect, they interview us, right? Those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, you get to know who we are, right? What we're about. So if Head, Heart & Boots is valuable to you, one of the best things you can do is share it with your friends. And it's been incredible to watch just the audience grow. And we still get text messages from many of you about shows that you really like and impacted you. So that's number one. And please keep doing that. Many of you have been huge advocates of the show. We also just want to remind you too, if you're a restoration company owner and you're interested in a partner in your growth, 
you want some help building out systems, developing your leadership teams, helping set up the infrastructure for you to scale and grow into the company that you're trying to build, that's what we do. That's what we do is we come alongside restoration company leaders, we help equip them, and we help support them in that growth trajectory. So if you're looking for that, go to floodlightgrp.com. Potentially, we could be a great match for each other. Another way that we really do serve our client base and our sphere of influence is through our premier partners. We work really hard to vet those folks that we believe bring a level of value to the industry that it can really be leveraged in a way to have a sincere, positive impact on your business. We take that very seriously. The, the folks that we create those kind of ongoing partnerships, that's not a check the box kind of scenario. It's, it's we really see strategic alignment in the value that they bring we see value in the way that their leadership teams and their partners are developed. And we've done very sincere work of ensuring that these folks that we introduce our clients and our sphere to can actually create vetted value. So go check out floodlightgrp.com forward slash premier slash partners and see if there's some folks on there that you can connect with and begin developing some other resources to support your growth and your business. So one of our company values at Floodlight is openness. Yeah. Right. And that involves transparency. It involves us keeping short accounts with one another. And my struggle in that, and I was telling Will this, I'm like, this is a growing edge for me. This is a real struggle. This is aspirational in many ways because it is difficult for me when I am disappointed in somebody, frustrated, angry, whatever. It's almost like a foreign language yeah. sometimes. There's yeah. a part of me that gets so caught up in, I don't want them to think I'm an asshole. I don't want them to not like me. Right. And it's been compounded over the years having a role of sales and small business owner because you are so indexed on wooing people and winning people over. Right. That that conflicts, I think, with building this awareness and overcoming right. you know, that, that fear because you just train yourself. You're just constantly in the mode of trying to woo and win others over and persuade people and to your perspective and all those kinds of things. And, and so I was telling him, I said, yeah, it is, it is very difficult for me to have critical conversations because I'm so afraid of what that person is going to think of me. So that's an example of how, for me, that family culture kind of took root in my heart. You know, it's a feeling thing. I can rationalize the shit out of it in my head. Well, this is counterproductive. This isn't serving me as a leader. This is putting a cap on my leadership. Like I think anywhere along the way, even maybe before that conversation with you, if somebody had dug into that, said, hey, if somebody had said to me, hey, Chris, I feel like you have a difficult time being critical and, and sharing critical feedback and, and stuff like that, I'd have been like, well, hell yeah. yeah. Um, and I could see how it's limiting me and my capacity of, of leading others, and influencing. And yet, I wouldn't have necessarily been able to tell you why yeah. until later on, even knowing it doesn't solve it. It's developing this... I think it's part of what I've, where I've had to come is that that's not all of me. You know, so because I, I think our tendency in America and in business culture is you find a problem and you just solve it and eliminate it and you move on. And I think the reality about people is that while you can do that with a system or a, a part of your business, a functional area of your business, that's really not how humans work. And so I think part of the, the wisdom of this stuff we're talking about is it isn't necessarily about just like seeing it, cleaning it up, fixing it, eliminating it, and moving on, and that's never a thing again. I think it's more recognizing this is a part of who I am because I go back to that other piece, like that desire to build reputation and protect my reputation has been a critical component of me having success in sales, building floodlight, building other businesses. 
So there's an aspect of it that's been productive. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. It's like you can't throw the baby out with the bathroom. This is a fundamental thing that has shaped me. Yeah. And so I think it becomes more of an awareness as a leader to where it's, hey, this is a part of me. What do I do with it? What influence do I allow it to have? You know? Yeah, I think that's the key right there is it's it's not a matter of it's not good, bad, oh, right, wrong. It's recognizing the different parts that are active inside of These me. These are influencing yeah. me. Yeah, and it's yes. and it's saying, okay, this this commitment to reputation, this part of me that's like, oh shit, if I say this, they might get mad, they may leave, they may fire us, they may they may be offended, and and then they'll go away, or they'll say stuff like Chris is an asshole, like they'll say that on social media. Like it's saying, God, part of me is really afraid of that, and then choosing to go with this other part of me that understands the responsibility I have and has this commitment to the relationship to share this in spite of this other part of me that's, right. that's afraid. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in awareness, you know? we can make different choices. Yeah. When it's all subconscious, when we're just reacting to whatever that under the surface driver is. Yeah. We're sleepwalking. It's so limited. It's so yeah. limiting. It really creates a ton of dysfunction. And I think too, it's just that it's this idea of how do a lot of those kinds of behaviors manifest themselves? And you're, in your particular case, it's this idea that you become more passive in your leadership style. You're overly indexed on what people think of me versus what is the value, the responsibility, the critical thing that I have to equip the team or, or be able to deliver yeah. in this moment. And, I, and you know, many of us are going to fall on an opposite end of that spectrum. Before we go into the box, man, I want to... I want you to share your story because I think, you know, some people hear my story and they're like, man, that's really nice, Chris. I'm really, it's, it's really hard just how traumatic your childhood was. And they, and they just can't relate to it. And I, and I do, I feel so lucky and fortunate that, yeah. that my, my wounds by comparison, I think are less severe, right? Than a lot of people's experience. A lot of people, there's just some fundamentally different experiences people have. And, and you and I, you've shared extensively about your experience. Could you just kind of touch on that and give people some insight into yeah, I mean, I what think, that's been? Unfortunately, I think my youth story was is like lots of Americans, right? And that's both uh, oh. kind of a sad but true scenario where broken family, right? Divorce when I was super young, single mom trying to figure it out. How do you work? How do you, you know, especially... I mean, guys, you know, neither one of my parents were walking away with doctorates. These these were blue collar families, yeah. and you know, a single parent making it is very difficult. And call a spade a spade, a single mother in the '80s, late '80s, even more so, very difficult to make it right. And so it was just this: mom's not at home because she's surviving. She's trying to do the basics, provide the basics. It wasn't malicious intent per se dad that left our home environment really you know when we were young and it was like he was gone and gone it wasn't uh wow we just really couldn't make it work out so we're going to do a good job co-parenting he wasn't taking you out for sundays every no, Thursday was, afternoon. yeah no visiting was weird and not great and normally because there was some kind of mandatory requirement and those few and limited experiences that we had sharing time with my father was excruciating at the best. No signs of love, no signs of of being proud or excited about what my life looked like or what I was going to become or where I was headed or having any kind of influence on the direction of that trajectory. There was no commitment to relationship. And I think what's hard for a lot of people to understand, unless you've been in those, is that you know my wife is really smart. She'll say things like, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. It's indifference you feeling for whatever reason that you are so meaningless 
that you don't have an emotional impact on that person whatsoever. Mm. That sucks, right? Like that is a... And, and I don't think anybody says that stuff out loud. It's like what you're talking about. It's this assimilation through osmosis. It's, it's felt. It's just felt. You grow accustomed to someone's unspoken language saying to you, you literally are so meaningless to me that not only did I not have a problem walking out and having little to nothing to do with you, but I don't really care all that much. Like there's nothing on the surface that even says that there's a resemblance of pain or discomfort or dissatisfaction with the fact that it played out the way that it played out. And so as, as hard as a mom can do to try to say, hey, you're loved, all these things, a guy needs a dad to speak into him and let him know that he has value. You know, and again, guys, I'm I'm very fortunate. I had a, an amazing set of grandparents that were in the mix. Spotty, right? Not an everyday influence, but they were an anchor influence to me. And at the end of the day, they saved my life. Like mm. if it wasn't for those those relationships, I'm not sure what what would have happened. But long story short, I grew up in a very broken home with a father that through action said I was meaningless to him. And what's interesting is, is a lot of people don't know this, but later on in his life, not very many years ago, he was struggling and dying from stage four cancer, lung cancer, a lifetime smoker and alcoholic. And my wife and I made a commitment to each other to go participate in that, that end of life experience with him and reintegrate and take him to his appointments and all the things. And this was after probably about a two or three year stint where me as a mature adult with kids, full-blown families, careers, all the things... He was kind of trying to integrate. To reconnect in some fashion. Some weird, broken way. I mean, we had no relationship whatsoever. So anyways, my wife and I go through this process of kind of eating our ego and treating him respectfully and trying to support him, prioritizing our time, sacrificing things to be available to him. And the last part of that experience turned into a text message I got, I think about 11 o'clock at night. And what you know, I can't remember all the details... But the text message essentially was summarized with, if I needed an Uber driver, I would have fucking hired one. So, you know, recap, piece of shit, dad. As an adult, my wife and I choose to put bad blood aside, help him through the latter months of his existence on earth. And in the midst of that, still chose to shit on us intentionally. Wild. Mm. So then he dies and some period of time goes by and the attorneys that were responsible for the estate and all that send out, you know, these obligatory letters in regards to people's will and and test all those things. And my dad's will literally goes to the extent of explaining in detail how me by name can't have anything and has zero input influence authority over his will, over his estate. So it, it's just a at times I tell that story and I kind of laugh because it is so ridiculous. And there's times I tell it and I'm, you know, you're crying inside because it is so ridiculous. But what that created was a chip that was based on constantly trying to prove to the external world that I was valuable, knowing the entire time on the internals that I didn't feel like I was. So here I am an adult. You know, I've been leading platoons and teams in the military, real world deployments learning how to be very authoritative in my leadership structure, very vibrato, very aggressive. I learned that the more aggressive and and frictional and divisive I was, that people got into line. If I was strong enough present, they would just 
hear me, fall into alignment with what I wanted. And that's how we controlled what was happening. Mm. So anyways, you know, it's, it's one of those interesting things where for you, it became, it created a bit of a passive leadership style as an example. And for me, it created this more aggressive, anger-driven, put up or shut up, either get in alignment with yeah. where we're heading or get the fuck off my butt. Yes, right. And what's interesting about that is that over the years now, looking back, that was not me. I was at odds with myself that whole time. Part of the reason that I was dysfunctional, part of the reason that I had aggressive anger issues at home and with my relationships with my family is I was at odds with who my soul wanted me to be. I was acting out and being somebody, making decisions, leading people from this thing that was influencing me on a subconscious level. And at the end of the day, I didn't want to be that. Like as I've become more mature, I've had more experiences to look at those things more closely. I'm becoming more of the kind of leader that yeah. I respect, yeah. that I know is healthy and creates commitment, engagement, all the things. And so, anyways, like for me, that story is what put me in my box. And and it, you and I looked different. Yeah. But the issue is still the same. Like it's this idea of I wasn't experiencing and or being the kind of person I was proud of. Like internally, deep inside when no one was looking, was myself proud of myself. And in those times, I wasn't. I'm getting closer to that. It's a work in process. But my ability to be aware of how that influences my decision-making, my relationship management, and all those things Mm -hmm. is giving me the ability to intentionally make decisions shift, change, so that I become more of what I want to experience, right? And I think that's, you know, again, heart of the matter. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, It's an idea of the awareness equipping us then to shift the decisions and priorities that we have to experience more of what we want versus these part compartmentalized successes driven by subconscious thought or decision-making, right? Yeah, I feel like that's what I'm learning in this journey is not right or wrong. Mm. Awareness gives me the ability to affect change make different decisions, change things if I want, add, subtract if I want, because I'm engaging it from a thoughtful, responsive posture instead of a reactive or subconscious posture. So, and I don't, I don't think we need to like unpack in detail the whole boxing, but that's ultimately what was happening is you and I were leading from our boxes because of these previous experiences. And the interesting thing is the box looked different for both of us. But I think the outcomes are the same, yeah. right? The outcome is my people don't get the kind of leadership they deserve. Yeah. It's not the kind of leadership that creates the best performance. Yeah. You know, you're just not able to provide that when you're in this box, when you're constrained from the subconscious behavior. So I guess time, sake of time, we need to shift out of this. What, what are we doing? So if as an audience, as a group, we say, okay, I may not be all in with you, Brandon and Chris, but, but I can definitely see how my life is a product of some of these subconscious factors affecting my decision making. So what do we do about it? So what do we what do we do? Right? Well, I think it's the the art of noticing is I think the thing we have to invest ourselves in is in noticing our reactions and responses and I think usually so from if you talk to Byron Katie, Eckhart Tolle and some of these other thinkers on on this subject, they would say that it's it's really important to start to just create awareness and, and notice these things. Here's a, here's a simple example okay, with my son. So everybody who's listening to this that has kids, I think hopefully it will relate to it. So my son, and this, this happened probably two years ago. 
13 years old. He's full of piss and vinegar. He has my anger and he has my wife's stubbornness. Okay, so he's like, he's got that and he's a sweet kid and he's a deep feeler. And, and that's always been kind of part of my stories. I'm, I'm very squishy inside. But when I feel hurt, when I feel small, when I feel his anger is the thing that comes out, you know, in a variety of different ways. And so he's got that in spades. So my, my mom, she took the boys, she picked them up from school, their, their grandma, took them on some errands, took them to a haircut of hers, you know, just kind of took the kids along and all her errands running around and then brought them home. And as they came home, I'm actually walking out the door to go run to Trader Joe's to get food for dinner. So I stopped the kids at the threshold of the door on the, on the patio. And I said, Hey, actually don't even come in because we're just, we got to go run and get food for, for dinner. And my son flipped out. He's like, what? We've just been riding around with grandma for the last three hours straight. I don't want to get back in the car. I'm so Dana. I'm like, first of all, like school just got out an hour and a half ago. So like they haven't been riding around for three hours. So this is just where he's coming from, right? And I had just recently had a coaching call with an executive coach I was working with and he used to do this with me. And I think this is a really useful discipline for us to cultivate a mental model. When I was doing my work, I'll come back to my Jack story here in a minute. When I was working with this executive coach, every day he would say, hey, so what's going on? Anything that you need to clear the table, we need to talk about. And inevitably, at the time, I was really struggling in my relationship with my wife. And so usually it was marriage stuff that would come up. And I would say something to the effect of, gosh, I'm really just frustrated with this. You know, this thing keeps coming up. Da, 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 da. And he's like, oh, hold on, Chris. Part of you is feeling that way. Part of you is. And he would always say part of you. And I was like, oh, this is so freaking annoying. This is just stupid woo-woo mumbo jumbo stuff, you know, it was my initial reaction. And over time, I started to understand what he was talking about. Because he would always circle back and he would say, hey, part of you, it, yes, there is a part of you that's feeling this way. Is there another part? Step back, look at this situation, the frustration you're telling me about. Is there another part that is just okay and fine? Well, that's a weird question. But I started to recognize there was this other part of me when I would step back and I would just pause for a moment before I reacted and I could just think about, yes, part of me is really pissed off, but there's this other part of me. It was just fine before we started talking about this thing. And I started to see that both things are in me, you know? Yeah. There's always good things and there's frustrating and bad things inside me. And, this, and so I started to take hold of that. So back into my Jack story, okay? So we're standing on the front doorstep. He is flipping the fuck out. And I had the presence of mind to notice part of me is feeling like I want to flick him on the end of his nose. Part of me wants to just push him, you know, out towards the car and I'm feeling a little pissed off. Part of me is feeling a little pissed off. And I'm like coaching myself mentally. I was in my head, but I had the presence of mind to just pause there in the moment. And so after I said, part of me is really feeling pissed off about this. I think I'm going to flip out on Jack. All of a sudden it started to subside inside me. The anxiety, the anger just started to kind of dissipate. And the words that came out of my mouth next were, okay, hey, dude, I get it. Okay, I, I totally get it, man, but we got to eat, right? And so I just started to appeal to the rational side of him. I'm like, but we got to eat, right? How long is it going to take us to Trader Joe's? What do you think? You know, and he's like, I don't know. I'm like, it's probably 30 minutes, right? And then we're going to come home and then it's going to be cool, right? So it's not going to take long. So I'm, I'm just trying to appeal to him. Anyway, he finally gives in. We sit in the car. And when we got into the car, I said, hey, dude, you just seem like you're really upset, man. Did something happen today at school? And I did it in that tone of voice. Because again, I wasn't angry anymore. 
part of me was angry earlier. I saw it. I'm like, okay. Because the normal would be this competing ramp. Oh, the normal right? would have been we're just ramping each Legacy, other up. principle, treat me this way. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. dude, you know how much bigger I am than you? You're going to get the fuck in the car. I mean, I don't say those things to my children, but this is what I'm feeling inside, yeah. right? And so it would have been, dude, like, quit complaining. We're going to go. Like, there would have been some sort of escalation that happened. And then ultimately, he just would have been pissed off and we would have taken that whole energy into our evening. And the whole evening would have been punctuated by some amount of his irritation, frustration, yelling, you know, stomping around the house. You know what I mean? Maybe hopefully some people can relate to this. I'm not the only one, right? But so we get in the car and I'm just, I have this sympathetic tone to my voice because I'm able to see him as just another human that's clearly upset about something. And he said, yeah, you know, I failed this test. And the teacher wouldn't let me retake it. And I failed it because of just some, he had some excuse. He was embarrassed and he was really upset because he cares about his grades. And I'm like, oh, dude, like I totally get it. I've had those days. All right, man. Well, listen, I understand. I understand. Are you cool if we just, can we go to Trader Joe's and let's just, and then we'll move on with the day. Is that cool? He's like, yeah, man, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, bro. That's bro is his like thing now. That's bro everything. Yeah, bro. All right. And so we were able to move through that situation without it becoming this bigger, more angry, darker, frustrating thing. Like I still, I think about that a lot. And of course, there's been a ton of subsequent times, but this exercise as a leader, but it's just as a person, as a dad. And I could give you a multitude of stories with my wife. I mean, because our, wife, our, our, our spouses... It is the most personal and intimate relationship that most of us have anywhere in the world, right? And for some of us, our whole lives. And I think it also often is the most sensitive and painful spot too, right? And and so I could give you a multitude of examples there. But I think that is the, for me, was the first step of just recognizing, look, this thing is happening in me and just noticing it. Just the art of noticing starts to dissipate those negative and stressful reactions and emotions are happening because again, that file folder just gets pulled. Right. Well, and I think most importantly is it gave you the opportunity to choose different. Yes. And look and and the ramifications of choosing different because in that same situation, could have had that blowout. It it sucked all night. You yeah. The attitudes flare up and then you almost stay in that state for a year. But you could have rolled in the next day to the shop. You could have been well in your way of signing a new opportunity like all the, the winning and the success knowing the whole time in the back of your mind, I've got this relationship that's broken at home. And you know, I think this is a reality for many of us. I hope so anyway. It's not just me. Daughter got the short end of the stick because I didn't... She's 18. She's three years older than Jack. I didn't have these this awareness. And I just think about... It's just the downstream effects of this, right? Because yeah, that example with Jack, what would have happened is he and I would have been totally disconnected yeah, for the remainder of the day. Yeah. Just pissed off. I'm irritated with him. He's no with me. Dad's an asshole, whatever, whatever he's thinking, right? And, but then it would have spilled over to my wife. This is a story for many years of our marriage and with my daughter and just like daughter's very strong willed. She's just like me without years of I'm sorry's. So all of that strife and all of the dynamic there, it would always spill over into our marriage too, because I'm just so caught up in my son. My daughter thinks I'm an asshole. Again, my family of origin, like that's the translation. It's not logical. My kids weren't really telling me I'm an asshole, but they weren't respecting me or they weren't going along. And my inter- my file folder is telling me in those moments, they think you're an asshole. You're not worth it. You're not special. You're, you're nothing to them. You're just freaking annoying. I'm internalizing that. I feel angry. 
I feel sad. There's all these things that are happening inside me. And ultimately then in my interactions with my wife, she's experiencing the version of me that's feeling and caught up in all those stories. And it's ugly and it's not pretty. And our first probably 15 years of our marriage were punctuated and sort of highlighted by that. But we had a lot of good times. But where we had strife, it was because of these things happening inside me that I just wasn't paying attention to. And therefore, I felt like I didn't have any control over it. But that moment with Jack was one of those starting points where I was like, gosh, part of me has seen that, that there's always these, these opposing parts of me. And when I take a moment to notice it, I can turn away from the negative and stressful version and I have an opportunity to choose, okay, there's this other part of me that's functioning just fine. And what if I, what if I move in that way? Yeah. And of course, the outcome is always better. Yeah, it's always better. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. I think that's probably a good place to start to, to kind of close up the conversations. So here's some thoughts. We're realizing we have a lot of trimming and... We've uh... got a few things to work <laughs> on. So this is interesting to me. I, I think this is what I want to encourage people to consider. So first off, what we're talking about is this idea of we need to be a more introspective on what do we want? Who do we want to be? What kind of life are we wanting to experience and not getting caught up looking at an isolated portion of our existence, our life. So like, for instance, this compartmentalization between our professional environments and our home environments, whatever the case may be. It's this idea of asking yourself some hard questions. Um, Am I who I want to be? Am I experiencing the kind of business, the kind of relationships that I want to, to be experiencing? And if the honest answer is kind of, sometimes, sort of, which is probably true for almost all of us, as long as we're honest then what is the opportunity then if we do that assessment and we're honest with ourselves and we say, yeah, kind of. I, I mean, I think we're headed in some similar good directions or good directions, but I got a lot of work to do. Well, then ask yourself if what we're talking about is feasible. Do you have an open enough mind to look at this and say, a lot of the kinds of relationships that I'm experiencing in my business, in my company, at home, with my spouse, my partner, my kids, is potentially being driven by and or controlled by these previous experiences, these past events, these past relationships, if you can be open-minded enough to accept that, then what do you want to do about it? Right? What do you want to start considering as an individual and potentially changing in the way that you're responding? Maybe shifting the kind of energy you're deploying with your family, shifting the way that you're thinking about these relationships. And would that then produce the kind of outcome that you actually want to experience, right? And so, and then this third piece, I think you touched on this is, if you're saying, okay, I can do better. There is a better experience, a more holistic experience to have. I think I do buy into this idea that my previous experiences may overwhelmingly be driving some of my current decision and behaviors that I'm not totally aware of, and I want to make shifts in that, then I think you need a battle buddy. Mm. You've got to have somebody in your sphere that's safe, that does have your best interest in mind, that will help you be more aware and conscientious of these positions, these things that are affecting the way that you interact with people and your, and your employees, blah, blah, blah. And begin leaning into them to help you make adjustments. Kind of like the story that you yeah. you shared, right? Of, hey, is this what you intended? Is this right position or the posture that you want to be leading out of? And, and then I would just add this. Team Floodlight has a mission that stretches far beyond consulting. Consulting, coaching is the platform. It's what we do professionally to create 
an entry relationship with our partners. Yeah. It's only the beginning of the journey. Yeah. And anybody that's worked in any kind of relationship where you are partnering with, supporting, helping, equip, coach, and mentor, you understand that at the end of the day, tactics, principles, industry standards, very valuable, absolutely critical to our business. That's not where the most of the work goes. Mm. Most of the work is what we do working with people. Yeah, what's going on between yeah. your ears? And this is no different. The reason that we want to talk about this kind of stuff more often, the reason that we shaped the show the way that we did is, this is the stuff that changes families, communities yeah. for the better. Yeah. If we work with a leader and like us, help them do some journeying that makes them healthier in their relationships with their partners, their spouse, their children, their churches, their community, their companies, their businesses, wow. What kind of impact is that from a legacy perspective? So we really believe this stuff. We believe this is bedrock critical for us to get a grip on. And we believe that missionally for us, it's it's a top priority. Top priority. I think we landed the plane. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. Go to uh, floodlightgrp.com. If this stuff's resonating with you and you want to have a deeper conversation, you want to get into... What's going on with your business and what's the opportunity? What are the challenges that you're facing? And could we potentially partner together? Could we be that sort of uh, battle buddy that you and your team need? Just go to floodlightgrp.com and send us a message and we'll do a complimentary Zoom session and just talk more about your business and where you guys are at. Also, check out our sponsors. Go to our partner page while you're there. What's that? Please. Please. Please do that. And then... Certainly share the Head, Heart, and Boots podcast. It's one of the best ways that you can thank us if this stuff is valuable to you. Just share it on LinkedIn. That's right. Text a friend. Share it with your downline staff. Use it. You know, use it as a resource. We have a lot of friends that will let us know, hey, I shared that project manager episode. It was so good. I shared it with all my PMs. That's awesome. You know, it's really exciting for Brandon and I. That's right. Otherwise, till next time, we'll see you. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Head, Heart, and Boots. And if you're enjoying the show, but you love this episode, please hit follow, formerly known as subscribe, write us a review, or share this episode with a friend. Share it on LinkedIn, share it via text, whatever. It all helps. Thanks for listening.